Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Drop Step podcast. I am excited today, as I am for most episodes, but for this one, it's pretty special. Uh, just to let you guys in to my Spotify wrapped, my most listened to podcast this year was the Game Theory podcast. If you aren't a follower and you're somehow listening to this, then I think you've got your priorities the wrong way around. But uh, I've got Bryce Simon, co-host of the Game Theory podcast. Bryce, is co-host accurate? Have you like agreed a job title with Sam? So it's it's a little bit funny. Somebody was asking me about this the other day. Like, are you a co-host? And I'm like, I call myself a co-host. Like, I think my Twitter bio says co-host. I mean, technically, I'm just like a weekly guest or a little more often than that. But I feel like when you come on legitimately every single week, you're a little bit more than a guest. So I don't know. Whatever the diff- if If there's a differentiation between those, I'm that. Whatever that is, Jack. You're in a bit of a podcast situationship, which I think is like an undiscovered, untapped um, mine for content. So maybe we could get into that a little bit later on. But today, what we're doing, we're combining Bryce's two great loves, but two things that have probably been letting him down so far this year. (laughs) And that's talking about prospects, uh, in this case for the 2024 draft, and that's talking about the Detroit Pistons. Bryce, you've had some time off. Christmas, you know, you've had some good vibes in the last few days. Has it been enough to take your mind off how bad the Detroit Pistons have been, or have you been wallowing in grief a little bit still? I mean, listen, Jack, you can't ever let your mind completely, like, legitimately. This is God's honest truth, Jack. Somebody yep. texted me last night at ten o'clock and said, yeah. "Hey, do you still have to podcast about the Pistons every week and watch oh. every game?" <laughs> He's like, that's got to be awful. And I was like, no, I, 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 st- I have watched legitimately. Truth here, Jack. 
every single second of the Detroit Pistons this year. A, a little bit of background with this. I'm not a lifer Pistons fan. I live in the right. middle of nowhere, Kansas. The pod, we, we don't have to get into the whole story, but I, I got an opportunity to join an existing Pistons podcast, and then things just trickled from there over the last three years. December 2020 is whenever I became, quote-unquote, a Pistons fan, media, content creator, again, whatever you want to label me as. And so this doesn't sting as much as some people, a lot of our listeners over at the Pistons Pulse, a lot of my followers on Twitter. I don't have the, quite the emotional attachment but I mean, I'm still watching every game and talking about them weekly. And it's tough to talk about 27 straight losses at uh, 27 straight at time of recording, Jack. 27. Yes. At the, uh, who knows? They have the Celtics tonight from when we're recording this. And so mm -hmm. who knows how long this thing's going to go? I mean, it would be really funny if they beat the Celtics tonight. Right? A, we're all sort yeah. of doom and gloom. We're talking about how to fix the Pistons, and then suddenly they beat the team that looks like they're going to just rush through the East. That that would be something to behold. Hopefully, we've just sort of brought that into existence. But Bryce, to give you a little background on my Pistons experience, uh, okay. I've been doing the drop step for about six months now, and I've done two Pistons podcasts already. I did a solo effort called... The Pistons are building, uh, the Detroit Pistons zag, that's what it was. The Pistons are building, unlike any other team in the NBA, <laughs> could this pay off for them? You know, I'm a positive guy. I wanted to put a slant on it. And then I also had Jack Kelly, uh, Australian. Yep. Yeah, he's great. He's absolutely great. Honestly, one of the most attractive people that covers the NBA out there. <laughs> so, you know, make sure that you've got both the video and your audio when you're listening or watching Jack Kelly. But we spoke about it from sort of just like a preseason preview. And again, I ran this take past him that maybe there was something to this Pistons rebuild where I thought if it all goes right, they could sort of look like the Brooklyn Nets teams of the 2000s where you've got quite stifling defense. Um, and you're just getting out in transition. You're throwing to the lights of, you know, your Richard Jeffersons, your Kenya Martins. But in this case, it was going to be Alsar Thompson, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duren. I thought they perhaps had a chance to succeed if they were sort of dominant on the glass. They were dogged in defense and they had to play in the half court as little as possible. That obviously is not panned out. And uh, I think if you want a lot of Pistons content, go and listen to Bryce on Pistons Pulse. Listen to the game theory. Sam seems to have like a slightly morbid obsession with the Pistons at the moment. It's it's, it's super weird. And I don't even think it has anything to do with me. I, I hope people aren't blaming me because, you know, for your listeners, I just joined game theory, you know, a couple months yeah. ago. And I'm worried that his listeners think that I'm driving that content. <laughs> I swear I am not driving that. Like I have some say in the outlines. Talking about the Pistons for 40 minutes like we did on the most recent episode, not my idea. That was not my idea. I recorded those episodes back to back. I knew I was about to have to talk about them for an hour right after game theory. I had no interest in talking about them for 40 minutes with Sam. I would much rather talk about something else. Absolutely. I completely get that. But um, unlike the second podcast that I recorded, when I had Jack on, I asked him about the 2024 draft and he said, do you know what? I'm done with the draft for now. I just want to focus. I would be happy with a 28-29 win season where we're just sort of starting to progress. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case for the Pistons this year. So we've got Bryce on. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about his top prospects of the 2024 draft. And along the way, we'll probably talk about the Pistons a little bit more because some of these guys are going to fit really nicely with you know your likes of Kay Cunningham, with Alsar Thompson, Jalen Duran. 
Jaden Ivey. But this isn't a 2023 draft where Victor Wembanyama is your consensus number one pick. I think a lot of people are on the same tier. So fit is going to come into it. And I'm really keen to just get straight into it, Bryce. I think what I'd like to do is go through your big board at the moment. So at time of recording, who is your number one pick for the 2024 draft? So real quick, I want to, what you explained there for how the Pistons could have played with this roster would have been really interesting. And I just want to point out, that's not what they tried to do. So like, that's what makes yep. this whole plan even more interesting is it's like, oh, okay, this is weird, but maybe mm-hmm. it works, right? Like you dominate defensively, but you get out in transition. Don't play. like what you said is really spot on, Jack. The weird thing is that's not what they tried to do. That's not, like, they didn't even start Jaden Ivey to start the year. So again, we'll get into all that. I... I want to be very clear about something. Okay. I have eight guys in my tier one, Jack. Mm-hmm. I would literally listen to anybody who wanted to tell me any one of those eight guys should be the number one prospect. If you told me the guy I'm about to say should be number eight, I wouldn't go, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy. Like last year, if you said Victor Wimbenyama is the eighth best prospect in the class, you would have never been listened to again and probably rightfully so, right? I think we can both agree with that. Absolutely, 100%. I That's not this class. Not right now on December 28th. That's not what this class is. And so I'm still, like I literally changed this this morning in preparation for this. I've watched all these guys a ton, but I'm still trying to filter it out. So um, I just want to give that caveat that, and there's also not a guy where you, a lot of people are going to say this, Jack. They're going to go, well, that's not a number one pick. Well, then tell me who the guy is. I'm about to tell you that it's Alex Saar right now for me. And some people may be like, well, what's the offensive game? And I'm going to go, well, Mm -hmm. what's there's the same question or similar question about a lot of these guys. So Alex Saar right now is, is the guy who I really fell in love with whenever I was going back to just my surface level scouting early before games had started this year, Jack. And he really popped off the screen to me. He was one of the guys I was like, man, I really like this kid. And a lot of the critiques were it was just flashes. There wasn't consistency in those type of things. Now he's playing in the NBL for people that don't know with the, the Perth Wildcats. He's a seven foot. I think he's skilled. This is where it comes into the number one pick for me with Sar. I think he has a real offensive game, Jack. Mm-hmm. He's very impactful defensively, can really cover ground and, and he's long and athletic and can move and all of those things. I'm trying. I think I buy the offensive game and potential more than others. And that's why I may have him a few spot higher than others. He's 18, doesn't turn 19 till April. So that's my quick spiel on Alex Saar. Absolutely. I look at Saar, I think seven foot one sort of center, nominal center, perhaps a power forward. And yes, what I'm really impressed with is is the foot speed for a guy that size because he's not sort of your Chet Holmgren build either. He's a little bit sturdier i think he's weighing in at about 240 pounds at the moment and i i think the value of your defensive skeleton key in the nba has just gone through the roof in the last few years in that you look at a guy like uh these guys don't look like alexander uh, alex Saar, but herb jones drew holiday these guys that you can almost ask to just go and guard anyone one through five yeah. i mean yeah. in drew's case even joel and bead right yep I look at Saar and I think that he gives you options on the defensive end. And if you're high on that offensive um, sort of where he's going to get to, because as an 18-year-old prospect, I think he's currently playing 18 minutes per game. There have been flashes of a shot from three. He's at about 60% from the free throw line for the moment. 
if you can envision that, then that is one of the most valuable archetypes that we're seeing in the NBA this year. Your sort of Jaron Jackson, your Chet Holmgren, your Victor yeah. Wembanyama. These guys with size that can legitimately switch, you know, maybe two through five. Yeah, yeah, switch, not match up. I, I, I think there's always a caveat there because I think sometimes people get it convoluted a little bit. They say, can guard two through five? That's not the same thing as switching two through five. So I love that you brought up Drew Holiday. What the Celtics have done with Drew Holiday this year, I, I just love the creativity. Drew Holiday mm -hmm. literally matches up with guys one through four, four and a half not just on switches. He will match up with the other team's power forward if that's their best player. Saar is not a guy that you're going to put on Jason Tatum, but Saar is a mm. guy who maybe can switch onto Tatum and hold up in that situation. You know, he's not guarding him as the primary matchup. So I would just like to make that distinction. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's the archetype that I think maybe people are falling in love with right now, and rightfully so, because... I literally just finished watching the Oklahoma City Thunder game. Chet is so darn good, man. And so maybe we're chasing the next version of that, but that's kind of what you're hoping this kid ends up being. And that's why I'm just buying into it. I think he has real upside. Chet's throwing himself self alley oops. That's the that was the moment this week that really caught me off guard. Just like insane levels of confidence. Whether you're regarding him as a rookie or a sophomore, I don't particularly <laughs> care. I just love watching Chet play. But when you envision Alex Saar on the Pistons, um, I think a lot of the things that we've mentioned so far—the fact that he's 18, that he's a little bit raw, but he's really showing sort of true NBA athleticism. That he's showing some defensive nails, not just having these sort of uh, elite athletic tools. Does that map well onto what we see the Pistons being for the next few years? I, I think that if you saw it, it would perhaps be as your four next to Jalen Duran, yeah. or would it be as a solo five? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I get hung up with Sar. And and again, I don't yeah. think you'll find very many people to believe in his offensive game as much as me. But am I truly ready to put him in? As the four next to Jalen Duran, who can't shoot Jack, Saar, mm -hmm. as much as I believe, is shooting 28% from three. Now, the makes, like, he has stretches where I'm like, man, this looks really good. I can really buy the shot. As you mentioned earlier, 63% from the free throw line. I think it may take a little while to get there. So the offensive concerns of that are real. Now, do you say, well, we'll just bring him off slowly off the bench? Like, okay, maybe you can do that. You know, do you prioritize him over Jalen Duran? There's been enough jokes made about Troy Weaver and his love for bigs in general. So this would just play right mm -hmm. into all of that. So I think what I would say is this probably isn't the most seamless fit. And again, what you said was really nice in terms of I'm a tiers guy and then you pick for fit within that tier. And because of that, until SAR separates himself from everybody else in terms of a tier, I can't say he would be the best fit of the eight or nine guys we're going to talk about today. I imagine that tier will shrink at a certain point. Some guys will elevate themselves above others. Right yeah. now, I don't feel that way. And so he's a better fit than a couple other guys we're going to talk about, but definitely not as good as some. Absolutely. And I just want to say on Jalen Duran, I've, in the limited minutes that he's had, I think he's still lots um, of the Pistons season. In the last few games that uh, Bojan Bogdanovic has been back, Jalen Duran has played three of those. He's played 31 minutes a game. And Bryce, would you care to guess what the Pistons' net rating is 
when Jalen Duran is on the floor with Boyan in this last 10-11 games? Just Duran and Boyan. Yeah. I mean, if it's anything positive, that's ridiculous. Okay, so in uh, Duran's last three games that he's played in this stretch where Boyan's been back, uh, they've had 112 offensive rating and 104 defensive rating. Wow. So the miracle is actually happening and i've gone on play-by-play stats it's the ultimate sort of like mad scientist website for if you're just looking for some crazy relationships um cade boyan isaiah stewart and jalen duran on the floor together plus 16 in net rating in 46 minutes this year i struggled to find i struggled to find any sort of positive uh net rating uh lineup for the pistons so i took that as a real win and i think that Going forward, I really believe in Jalen. I think on the podcast yesterday, you guys said, um, you know, is there too much between him and Mark Williams? I think considering Jalen's age, his NBA-ready body, his he, he hasn't shown that he can switch at an NBA level, but he's being asked to do it in a far more difficult setting. I think that he's a real building block and perhaps maybe your, your second most important prospect on the Pistons. Yeah, I would... I'm... I've become very like stubborn about Jaden Ivy. I don't know why. Like I just have, I wasn't even super high on Ivy coming into the draft, but I've just gotten that way. Cause I feel like the conversation about him has gotten real weird. And we can talk more about Ivy when we talk about, I'm sure that conversation will come up when we talk about Collier and Topic and Jacoby Walter and some of those guys. But yeah, I, listen, I said Jalen, I was wrong and right about Jalen Dern whenever he got drafted by the Pistons. I thought he needed a year in the G league. I was wrong. Like that was a a bad take. I also Mm -hmm. said, I think his ceiling was way higher than a lot of people had. I still believe that, but I would like to see it start coming to fruition just a little bit more, Jack. Like I'm starting to wane just a little bit. He is super Mm -hmm. young, just in his second year. He's battled ankle injuries. And I will tell this as well, because most of your listeners probably don't listen to the Pistons Pulse. Detroit thought about selecting him at number five. Like they had real conversations about taking him at five. And if I think if Jay Nivey wasn't there at five, maybe that means they would have taken Keegan Murray because that means Keegan Murray would have been available. But like they really, really considered it. And so that just, I only bring that up to tell you how much this front office, if it's still there, you know, six months from now, 12 months from (laughs) now, how much this front office really liked Jalen Duran. Absolutely. But Jalen has fans sort of across basketball. We saw he was uh, selected for the USA Select team in the summer. He showed out quite nicely there. One of the other things I like about Jalen is we've seen flashes of the high-low passing and, you know, potentially being able to be utilized as maybe a handoff hub in future or just a guy that's like not completely empty there, not someone that you can't trust to do that. Um, And he's really patient under the rim as well when he's actually under the rim he doesn't play like a 19 year old with a greek god body he actually you know he waits to get it up he can draw a foul here and there i've been really impressed with Jalen, but uh that is 17 minutes on our number one pick we're no, gonna I, go over this hour <laughs> it's, it's it's all good because i got more i told you it was gonna happen it's fine like yeah. we we yeah, agreed yeah. to it I, I do think he has some dho potential his footwork in the post has really come along and the stat you gave with the four-man lineup of K, Boyan, Stu, and Duran is interesting. One, because mm-hmm. Isaiah Stewart takes the brunt of a lot of heat from Pistons fans right now. It's very interesting. I will say this. If they can make that work, Alex Saar is going to have a more well-rounded offensive game than Isaiah Stewart in terms mm-hmm. of just like skill. 
he he doesn't actually shoot it as good as Isaiah Stewart right now. Like Stu's actually become a decent shooter. But yep. like if they can make that work, I don't think Boyan will be in the fold next year. But that would give me a little bit more faith that hey, like maybe it could work with Alex Sar at the four. But then I'd be worried that you're going to see if Troy Weaver's still there, then Alex Sar is at the three, Stu is at the four, and Duran is at the five. So let's just steer clear of and, this. And Asar is at the two, and there's yeah. just no spacing whatsoever. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's the one. So, Bryce, who have you got at number two, man, on your board? Oh, man, I, I don't love this either. Right now, I, I do have Isaiah Collier. Um, right. I'll be honest, man. I go back and forth with Collier. He's a really talented kid. I did have a high school coach tell me that saw him in person, that he is 6'4", which made me feel a little bit better. I know sometimes people probably like, how are you going to quiggle over, quibble, excuse me, over 6'4", 6'3", and I'm like, well, lots of times 6'3", becomes six one and a half without shoes and those type of things. So I do think he looks bigger whenever I see him on the floor. He is like right. physically built and strong. Like he is a strong kid. He has some downhill explosion, those type of things. I worry a little bit about the turnovers, but man, the positive passing flashes are really good from Isaiah Collier. He's got to figure out the jumper a little bit, but he's a guy that can really put pressure on the rim, pressure on the lane. This kid is not a fit, in my opinion, for Detroit mm -hmm. at all. So I, I know we like the caveat. This is not a piston specific big board. This is my NBA draft yes, big board yeah. in general. Sometimes my followers kind of get forget that I do general NBA draft stuff and they're like, that guy doesn't make sense for the Pistons. I'm like, I'm not tweeting about him for the Pistons. I'm just tweeting about him. So this would be an awful fit, in my opinion. Not that Cade couldn't play off ball, but Isaiah Collier would probably be lower on my in my tier if this was specifically for the Pistons. Yeah, absolutely. Isaiah being asked to get through a lot of work on the offensive end. He's got 30% usage this yeah. year so far, which is just insane for a freshman coming in, playing for USC. Um, I, I think that it all sort of just boils down to the shot with Collier and the Pistons. Yeah. If so, so I think that one of the main issues with the Pistons this year is the lack of a true sort of three. If you're only three Agreed. on the roster yes. is Boyan. He's not a guy that can really you know handle too much defensive responsibility. I know that Cade is almost sort of two, three size. Um I don't see a world where you can just go guards, bigs, three guard lineup, you know, sort Agreed. of going Cade, Jaden Ivey, Isaiah Collier, and then Stuart and Duran or, or whoever, basically. I just don't think that this is the team that can facilitate that, particularly with the fact that um, I, I don't know if it's just because of the amount that he's handling the ball. The jumper just doesn't seem to be there yet. But one of the things that I can't do as a guy watching tape that I've heard you talk about, I've heard Sam talk about, when you look at Collier's shot, do you see like do you think the fundamentals are there or do you think there's something broken and we're looking at you know sort of rebuilding that shot once he gets to the nba yeah so i mean it really comes out i i literally have it in my notes here from the first game i watched said if he made a couple shots that where i go if he does this he's a top three pick top two pick top one pick and the rest of the class hasn't materialized to where like he still is even though he hasn't proven the shot but there was a yeah. a, a, a review not a review uh a replay in that game where from behind and he took a, I don't know why I'm doing this on video. I, nobody's going to see it, but for me this and you, it makes more put out a perfect from behind his <laughs> wrist actually flicks in on the jump shot what? instead of forward. And it just, right. those are the little things I try to watch. Like what are the consistency with the form in terms of those type of things? And so 
it doesn't mean it's the end of the world, right? Like repetition fixes a lot of things, but those are the kind of the things I look for with, with a guy's shot. I will also say you give me too much credit. I, I did play college basketball and the best thing I did was shoot the ball. I'm the worst shot evaluator of anybody in the NBA draft space. Like I feel very <laughs> confident if I'm breaking down defensive rotations and on ball yeah. defense and, and relocation, actual shooting mechanics. I'm just like, no, you just catch and shoot the ball. It's easy. You catch it, you shoot it. Like it's super simple. I can't even teach my own kids how to shoot Jack. So I'm definitely not the best at, at evaluating uh, some of these prospects with that. Not my strong suit. So I'm a big football fan as well as in soccer, you know, Premier League, Arsenal, Man U, etc. I know what and football. I'm watching Ted Lasso right now. There we go. There we go. Well, one of the things that happens in football is some of the best players in the world can't necessarily make it at the coaching level because they expect too much of their yes. players. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is you, Bryce. You know, you were a guy that could confidently catch and shoot. You look at a guy and just think, well, this should be the natural bit of your game. So I absolutely understand the whole. And sometimes it's the things that you can't do as a player that you key, on, key in on a lot because you think, oh, if only I could do that. Or I'm really oh, impressed yeah. when someone does do it. I mean, from my perspective, I've I've never played at any sort of level, so it's all theoretical to me. But um, yeah, I completely get that, man. And um, I think it's interesting. Collier sort of sounds a little bit like Jaden Ivey to me as a prospect. Uh, yeah. I think that they've kind of got different builds, but yes. Ivey's shot has progressed really nicely in the league to the point where um, I remember when I did that first podcast in the second half of last year, post all-star break, Ivy was shooting 38% from three and 80% on the line um, on a fairly decent level of attempts as well. And I just think that sometimes you've got to think about the college court, the situation, the spacing, this might be the worst spacing that Collier ever has to deal with, dependent on where he gets to in the NBA. You know, if he goes and he plays uh, with the Jazz, for example, or maybe even the Spurs, if they choose to ditch, you know, Jeremy Sohan in the starting lineup, he might have a far more favorable setting for his shot. And that might settle in a bit nicer at the NBA level. Yeah, no. And that's what I think that's what scares me a little bit is you're right. Like him and Ivy aren't the same body type. And I don't even know if they quote unquote win the same way. Like Ivy wins with that first step. And those, another concern I have with Collier is he plays a little bit of bully ball at times where he just overpowers college guys. I'm not right. saying that can't translate. It just makes me a little bit nervous. Cause it's like, okay, you go to the NBA. Are you going to be able to bully NBA defenders whenever they're between you and the basket and, you know, shove them off and those type of things. And then there's some defensive concerns as well. Like I, I shouldn't be so, cause I've, I've been interested in, do you essentially play Cade as your wing? You know, do you play two guards and Cade? Cause that's who he's going to guard anyway on the defensive end. Most of the time is a wing. He's not guarding the primary initiators. Most of the time it pecking order is going to be dependent on that. But could you get away with playing two guards? Ivy probably isn't quite big enough, especially if you're adding someone like Collier, who's also you know six four or so. So it it would be interesting. I don't think I'm there with kind of that that idea. I mean, everybody's perfect fit for Collier is going to be the Spurs. Like it just it just seems like the the right idea and the right place for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Thunder and they sort of try and cheat as much as they can with getting ball handlers and playmakers at every position. I, I did think that once upon a time about Cade, but let's just uh, let's get the man a functioning team first before we start to ask him to play three, right? Yes. Uh, Who have you got at three, Bryce, on your big so, board? 
this is actually a guy I've, I've come around on. I wasn't super high, but uh, Matas Buzelis um, from Sunrise wow, Christian. Yeah. What's that? That's a jump. I listened back to your uh, mock draft with Sam on Game Theory today in preparation. So that's a bit of a rise for you with Matas. Yeah, I've, I've really come around. He's a Sunrise Christian guy, um, which is in Kansas, Wichita. And then he's obviously playing for the G League night right now. And it just... He hasn't shot the ball well in his games with the Ignite. He's just 22% from three. But where I've really come around, I think, is the other aspects of his game. So I'm buying the jumper. Like, obviously, if he shoots 22% from three, this isn't where I'm going to have him. I'm not going to keep yep. him this high. So in high school, he shot 43% overall from three, 43% on catch and shoot, 47% on unguarded catch and shoot. Like, this is a guy that can shoot the ball. So I'm working mm -hmm. under the assumption that this is a small sample size thing that's not going to be true. What I've liked is he looks big. He has some uh, impactful plays defensively off the ball. Now, on the ball, he's going to struggle to guard. But off the ball, some rotations and those type of things. And then he's doing a little bit more off the dribble than what I anticipated him being able to do. Now, the G League, you know, it's tough to evaluate sometimes. But those are pro-level guys, right? Not NBA-level guys, but I'm watching him play against guys that were just drafted in the 2023 class. Whenever I watch him play against Rip City, you know, that's Ryan Repair, Chris Murray, those type of guys. Uh, Abu Baji, who wasn't drafted, but a guy I really liked. And so yep. he's playing against some solid competition. I liked what I saw. I want to see more. But for now, I have definitely sent him up my board and, and kind of been able to see a little bit more of what others have seen i don't think this would be a huge rise compared to other people's boards but for me individually it definitely is nice i, I think he's a little bit older than some of the other guys that we're going to talk about born in 2004 so he'll probably be 20 by the time that he's drafted but with matas it's a little bit like a just don't overthink it if this is a guy you think can pass dribble shoot and can potentially play at the three or the four that is an asset in today's nba um just a guy that's going to make Cade and Jaden and everyone around there, their life easier. And at the high end, if this sort of 43% from three holds, then you have a guy that can potentially facilitate Alsar Thompson being in the starting lineup because you have an elite spacer there. And even at the mid range, just let's say it settles in at you know, 36, 37%. If you just have another decision maker on the court, especially one with size that can sort of get in passing lanes as well. I think he's been a fairly decent rebounder in his time with the G League Ignite. Um, it's it's just a guy that simplifies things. And maybe he's not your number one going forward. But if you're hoping that that can be Cade and you're hoping that Jade and Ivy or potentially a guy that you trade for in the next sort of season or two can be your number two, then this is the kind of guy that you need on the roster to make their lives easier. Yeah, and just, he is—he is 19 years old, so he just had his his 19th birthday in October. So he'll be a 19 year old. And I, listen, I I do think age matters, so I will bring it up. I know some people like think it's overblown and stuff, but I'm like, if you're an 18 year old kid playing in a professional league compared to a 20 year old kid as a freshman in college, like th there's all nuance and there's all context to all the. It's not the end all be all. I'm not saying a guy should be drafted just because he's 18 or anything like that. But I do think it matters. Yeah, I mean, Matas is 48% from the field right now, not shooting well from three, which is supposed to be his superpower, you know, his elite skill. And over five rebounds, the assist-to-turnover ratios right about one-to-one. -one. 
a little over almost three stocks a game. Like I just, I think he's a good basketball player. I think he has good feel. And yeah, this is a guy that I would have very high on my Pistons specific board. Now, this is a guy who maybe by the end, Jack is yep. in a tier below. Maybe at a certain point he gets passed up by some of these other guys who I do think have higher end potential. But at this point, I'm just willing to bet on a guy that's 6'10", that's skilled, that can shoot. We've seen it at the highest high school level. Again, if he shoots 22% for the entire G League season, we have to change it. But we can change yeah. our minds when the data changes or we get more data and at least can be a good team defender. And that's what I like is, to your point, playing him next to Asar. Asar could be a really good on-ball defender, and then you match him with a wing forward in Matas who shoots it really well and is a really good off-ball defender. I kind of talked myself into liking what Matas could be for what we know about the Pistons right now. I, I don't know if it's lazy, but I get a bit of France when I think about okay. Matas Buzelis. Like, you know, your sort of 6'10 Euro guy sees the floor really well, plays at a decent pace, knows when to cut, knows um, sort of how to interpret space and can shoot the ball at a higher level as well. I don't know if Matas ever gets to that stage where he's creating at the same level as France yes. is in Orlando yes. right now. But that sort of archetype, if... If this was a guy that we were talking about as a potential free agent next year, then he'd be on everyone's borders. This is the archetype that the Pistons need to be going after. Yeah, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I also want to say this. I should have said it at the top. Sometimes how I look at my big board, because I'll, I'll be honest with you, Jack. I go, really? Matas Bizelis at three? What right. I do to make myself feel better, and maybe this is just stupid, I say, what if the top three players... Like, what if we had a tier of three guys that most classes have? And I'm like, okay, you take three guys that are really elite talents that should be one, two, and three. Well, that yep. makes Matos the number six player in the class. And you're like, oh, that makes more sense. Like, Matos seems like a number six overall pick right now. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of how I work it in my head when I'm, even with Sar, I'm like, I don't know that, a, that Alex Sar is a number one pick, quote unquote. Well, if you have three guys that would fit into one, two, and three, and it knocks Sar to number four, you're jumping for joy if you get Alex Sar at number four. You know what I mean? And so that's yeah. kind of how I've reconciled in my head with this class that I think is going to be fun, intriguing, has some real talent, but just doesn't have that super high-end guys at the top right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I completely get that. So for any listeners out there, compare him to your Anthony Blacks or your Benedict Matherins. Yeah, there you go. Jaden Ivey's, Keegan Murray's, yeah. like those type of guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I love it. Who, who is your four on this big board and your seven on any other big board? <laughs> yeah, I, I've kind of, I've kind of been talked into this one a little bit, but I do think the kid can really play. And here's the nice thing. We're going to really find out about it because he's about to go play in the Euro League. He's, and that's Nikola Topic. He's 18 years old. He's going to be the youngest player in the class, I would guess. He doesn't turn 19 till August of 2024. Mm -hmm. So he'll have played summer league, all of that stuff, by, before he even turns 19. The kid can pass. Like, like I have very few questions offensively outside of the jumper. But here's the thing. He shoots 87% from the free throw line, Jack. And you talk to a lot of people. They really feel like 
free throw percentage. This is a little more so for college guys because of the, the three point line and the difference. But a lot yeah. of people like to look at these prospects free throw percentage as a better indicator of long-term three point shooting success in the NBA. So I've, the, the free throw percentage is good. And I've seen him really make shots, Jack. Like I've seen him make shots off the bounce, off the catch, those things. He can operate a ball screen. He can really attack and break down a defense. His passing and eye manipulation, like all of that stuff is incredible. I have major, major questions about him defensively, but this kid right. can really play. This kid can really play. And he's 6'5". Yeah, he's 6'5", 6'6". Like he has good size. 100%. 100%. And um, I've had a couple of guys from No Ceilings on the podcast before. In, great people. Uh, great resource for draft. Those guys are awesome. They're brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So I think Tyler Rucker and Stephen Gillespie, and they said that one free throw line percentage is a really good touch indicator and yeah. sort of like indicator of your shooting. And as well, how well can you finish around a basket? Sometimes it's just about seeing angles. And Nikola Topic is a guy that I'm looking here at his last 15 or so games um, playing for Mega. He's never shot under 50% from two-point range. And, you know, if you're doing that at 18 years old in a man's league, I don't know if he's sort of dominating from the, uh, from the mid-range or he's getting all the way to the basket because I know that he doesn't necessarily have that top-line athleticism. He does not. If you're finding ways to score at 18 years old in a men's league, I've got a bit of trust that you're probably going to do it. And I think the um, I think the other thing with toe pitches a lot of guys come into the league and they struggle with the pressure and release, like their relationship between their scoring and their playmaking. It seems to come quite naturally to him where he could potentially come into the league. And as long as he's able to generate some sort of rim pressure or he's being respected on the perimeter a little bit, I think that that relationship between his playmaking and his scoring is going to potentially carry him through some physical development because if he's coming into the league as one of the younger guys, we're going to need to wait a year or two for him to develop physically. Here's the thing. Not only is he scoring, he's scoring like at a crazy level. He's averaging almost 19 points per game in mm -hmm. 16 games on over 50% from the field. I, I threw out the three point. And then he's also averaging six and a half assists and less than three turnovers. So, you know, that that's pretty good numbers, especially whenever he's not turning it over a ton. I was, I watched a game recently where the, the first half was a little bit rough. He didn't score it well, had some turnovers. And in my notes, I said, what is the response in the second half? I literally wrote it in my notes at the end of the first half. What are, what's the response going to be? And I can't mm. say exactly the line I wrote, but essentially with some other very uh, colorful words, it was really impressive. It was really <laughs> impressive. He had two made threes, a mid range and some attacking the basket just in the third quarter. Like and to your point, it was, I've created, I've created, it wasn't great. Now I got to go score some points for my team as well. And here's the other thing. He's getting double teamed, Jack, in this league. You talked about him playing in a man's league. Well, that man's league, not only is he being effective, that man's league is double teaming him because he's so effective. Now, again, just came out today, the morning of this recording, that he's going to go play in Euro League with a team that he's wanted to play for ever since he was a kid. So we're going to get an even better example of who he is. Again, don't hold us to this from December 28th, Jack. All, all of your listeners, we yeah, can yeah. change our minds as the data changes. And we're about to get a lot of really, really good data on Nikola Topic. But right now, he's been awesome. Like, this is an example. If you told me you have Nikola Topic comfortably higher than Isaiah Collier, I have no qualms. Like, I, I, 
I may change my mind and may have it tomorrow. As we're having this discussion, I'm wondering if I shouldn't have had him higher. So I, I completely would understand it. Nice. So I think he's going to play for Red Star in the Euro yes, League. Red Star. Whenever there you, you go. Google yes. it, it's yeah, Kurvena Shvedsta. I, I completely respect the fact that you didn't try and pronounce that on the podcast. Yeah, I'm happy yeah, yeah. to embarrass myself, but he's going to play for Red Star, sort of a Euro League giant team that has real basketball pedigree. And he's coming from Mega as well, who I believe were the Nikola Jokic team and they're really focused on development. And I, I just think that the other thing that you spoke about there, where you wrote down what was his response in the second half, to be 18 years old, to be getting double teamed in a men's league and to show the mental resiliency to be able to sort of put a bad half behind you. I think that's really impressive at 18 years old. Maybe it's arrogance, but maybe it's just sort of sheer basketball will. Well, here's the thing, Jack. I, whenever we're talking about, if I want to go to dinner with somebody... I don't want you to have arrogance. Nice. If I'm drafting you to play on my basketball team, you better be arrogant. I want you to be arrogant. Like the, every one of those guys in the league has a little bit of ego, a little bit of arrogance. Now, at some point, a lot of them have to put it in check, right? If you're not the guy, you may have to put it in check a little bit. I would much rather have an overconfident player than an underconfident player whenever we're talking about the NBA. So you've got this arrogance. You're drafted to the Pistons. And uh, you see Kay Cunningham getting all these on-ball reps. Do you think that this is a pairing and, and potentially even a trio with Jaden that could work itself out as a guard rotation? Yeah, do you I mean, believe in the shot that much? So, uh, no, not enough. Um, cool. I think the way it would work is you believe in him, Nicola, that much on the ball, and you believe in Cade playing off the ball that much, I think it is really what it would come down to. I mean, it, it does come down completely, completely, completely different player than Isaiah Collier, but it's kind of the same kind of idea in terms of, you know, very on ball dominant guys. And do you want to add someone that ball? Cause my thing is, I don't think Jay Nivey needs to be on ball like nearly as much as the two guys we've talked about. I think Jay Nivey can play off the ball and actually would fit better off the ball. Topic is such a good decision maker. You got to put the ball in his hands. I mean, what I would like about it is six, five size, super high basketball IQ. Like it would kind of be fun to see if mm -hmm. him and Cade could figure it out. Like in, in that sense of, of my list of fun guys, like Cade and Topic together in the backcourt. Okay. Like I'll sign up to watch it. I don't know if it's going to work or not. I don't know if both of them hit their ceilings playing together, but it would be fun to find out because I just believe in both of their basketball IQ awareness, all of those type of things so much. Yeah. And I think it depends on like the type of guys that are guarding Cade, dependent on who gets picked in this 2024 draft and how the team is shaped through free agency. But yes, I'd yes. love to see him potentially even like as a guy that goes to the post a little bit more as a guy that potentially yeah. plays at the elbows. And I think he's tried to score from that position quite a lot because it's been so sort of clogged up at the rim, but let's see if he can access some of that playmaking. If you're going to surround him with a Jaden Ivy with in this scenario, a Nikola Topic, can he be the guy that almost facilitates a little bit from the elbows and gets them going, gets them a standing start? I don't know. This is, we're now sort of getting into real like Frankensteinian, uh, team construction here but I just wonder about Cade as a guy that as he continues to grow with his frame because I know that he had a little bit of muscle in the offseason right yes can he be a guy that starts to bully not just guards but but maybe a wing or two as well I mean I've always said I would much rather Cade add 
physical bulk and strength than athleticism. You know, whatever. Like I always thought his game was. I don't. I don't want him to be as heliocentric as Luca. Although I I love Luca and I love watching Luca and and the Mavs are are great and all of that. But it was more he's going to win in that way, just being big and strong and being able to take contact and stay on balance. And so I'm with you 100. percent Listen, the best reports we've got about Cade Cunningham in his three years was when. This summer, coming out of Team USA Select, whenever they were had those scrimmage against the FIBA team. And sure. it sounded like what they did is they used Cade in the Luka role on the Team USA Select team to prepare FIBA team to go play Luka in those games. And so that's I, – I, I do think that's his game. I, I think you want to surround Cade with scores. I've always said, from the time he was drafted – I don't think Cade is your leading scorer on a championship team, Jack. I think Cade is the best player on your team, but not necessarily your leading scorer. He's your mm-hmm. 23 to 25, eight assists, eight rebounds, face of the franchise, leader, intangibles, all of those things. The defense has to get way, way better. We don't have enough time to talk about that. It has to get way better. But that's who I see Cade being more than in like – off the ball, thirty point a game guy, and if you bring in Nikola Topic, I think that's what you would probably want to try to turn him into. Yeah, absolutely. To the point where I think when it was really dark, I know that it's incredibly dark for the Pistons <laughs> right now. But you know, before Boyan came back and Cade really was struggling in terms of his efficiency, I I looked and I thought that the fundamental issue in like this roster construction from the Pistons' perspective was I think they expected him to be a pretty resilient mid-range scorer. Yes. And a guy that could generate 56% true shooting uh, offense, basically, for himself, regardless of who you surrounded him with, right? Yep. And they yep. chose to then surround him with Killian Hayes, with Alsar Thompson, with two bigs, and essentially, let's really try and win on that defensive end and have Cade be the guy that keeps our head above water on the offensive end. And... I think that's a fundamental miscalculation. And when you look at Cade, in an ideal scenario, he would be surrounded by other either advantage creators or advantage maintainers to the point where he is just making the decisions, making sure that the guy with the right matchup is getting the ball or just you're trusting him to marshal the offense, not necessarily be the entire offense onto himself. 1,000%. And... I've said that there's been a lot of miscalculations this offseason, Jack. Uh, you don't lose 27 games in a row because of just bad luck or just because of injuries or whatever. The biggest miscalculation was, yes, wings, forwards. But they had to go get somebody that could score the ball. They didn't yeah. go get somebody that could really, really score the basketball. I think they should have overpaid for somebody. One year overpay. You know, Keith Smith, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not from the front office show, an amazing follow and an amazing podcast. And Mm -hmm. he's always, he said something that's always stuck with me is that you can't have a bad contract for one year. So like a one year over, like for a rebuilding team, especially go give somebody 25 million that only deserves 15, but for you, it's worth it because they can get you 25, 27 points a night and open up all of those things you just talked about with Kate. It, it was a complete miscalculation and they're paying the, the price for it right now. And that's why a potential move for someone like Zach Levine, someone like it's Pascal why, Siakam makes a bit of sense, right? It's at least why it's a conversation. I mean, hmm. I'm sure most people go, why would the Pistons even consider Zach Levine? How does it even make sense at all? And I understand those people. I've talked myself out of it 
but I like the general idea of someone like that that can just come in and get a bucket. Like Kyle Kuzma continues to be the name that I'm like, this would have this should have been the guy. He could he's an actual four man. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Um, he's an actual four man that can score the ball a lot, you know, take a lot of usage, a lot of shots, and necessary for what this team would need. Like that's the name that continues to to ring with me. Nice, nice. Uh, a massively underrated what if for the 2023 <laughs> offseason. Kyle Kuzma in a Pistons jersey. He's yeah. um he he's not uh, particularly greener pastures, but just slightly ever so greener than than it would have been in a Pistons uniform. Very slightly. Or who yeah. knows? Maybe hey. we'd be talking about the Wizards on a 27 game. The Wizards street. and the Spurs owe the Pistons a lot of love for all of the deflection of how bad those two teams are right now as well. Yes, absolutely. In the same way that um, you spoke about your big board potentially imagining three teams at the top, uh, three players at the top, there are three teams at the bottom of you know the NBA this year, where the Portland Trailblazers might be your worst team in a regular NBA season. You've got these three like standout bad teams for the moment that just sort of warp everyone's perspective. But let's uh, let's get away from that and let's get to your number five guy on your big board. I think we're at five or six. Um, I believe we're at five with him. Five. Yep. Yep. Um, so this is another kid that's really risen up my, like there's going to be a common theme here with some of these guys at the top for me in terms of guys who I've, and that's a, another 18 year old doesn't turn 19 till April. And that's uh, Zachary Reesisher. And I, I, I think, I, I think this kid can really play. I, I had it in my notes when I did my surface level stuff that he looks young and talented, but it hasn't all translated yet like super high ceiling guy, but just wasn't sure it was there. And every game I've watched kind of, you know, I'll watch a game, take a couple weeks off, watch a game, take a couple weeks off. And the most recent one, I thought he was awesome. He's good off the ball defensively. He can get out in transition. He can, he's athletic. He had a crazy dunk over a seven foot three guy in that league. There's some things with his finishing overall, but he can move off the ball, offensive rebounds, all of that stuff. The shot is a little bit mechanical, a little bit mm -hmm. slow, but he's shooting 48% from three on three attempts a game. You know, he's only playing 22 minutes a night, 11 points. He's over 50% from the field, over 70% from the free throw line. Doesn't create a ton, but he's a 6'9", rangy wing with athleticism that looks like he's going to be able to shoot and I think has some real defensive tools. Yeah, and you got to remember, uh, anyone listening to this podcast, at this stage in the draft cycle last year, I don't know if anyone had mentioned Bilal Koulibaly yet. I think he was probably no playing chance. for the second team. For he was still playing team. for, yes, yes, a thousand percent. So if you're slightly underwhelmed by some of the numbers that we're saying, particularly in like the European leagues or with guys that are 18 years old, you've just got to have a little bit of patience. And I think that um, it's a slightly riskier pick because you've got less yes. of a body of work to go off of. but always be open to it. I think it's the uh, it's the Daryl Morey quote that I saw the other day on Twitter, the strong beliefs weakly held. Be, by all means, like go out on a limb, potentially recommend that uh, a guy that you've watched play a few games could actually be right towards the top of the NBA draft. But if in the next few games, uh, Rissa Sher doesn't quite show himself at you know, the same levels that he has been, I'm sure that he's moving right down your big board, right, Bryce? Oh, yeah. And that's what I've said it multiple times now. The data changes. I mean, I, I changed my board before we started talking today. And yeah, who knows? You know, Ryan Dunn starts making shots. 
He's going to skyrocket up big boards. You know, uh, Reed Shepard at Kentucky is a kid that I'm going to be fascinated. I, I think he's a great player. What if he isn't shooting 50% from three by the end of the season? You know, like there's just, there's so much data that we haven't collected yet. And so mm-hmm. not only are we projecting these guys in terms of the long, like their long-term career, Jack, we're still projecting a little bit of, do they continue to get better throughout the season? And so that's obviously, like you said, if he's not shooting 47% from three in you know two, three weeks from now, my perspective on him is going to change. And so it's just, it's a kid that I still go by the eye test. I want to say that as well. Like there's some guys I'm just going to be higher on than others because I watch him. I'm like, man, that, that guy just looks real. Like, I, I think he looks like an NBA player. He moves like an NBA player. The flashes are flashes I'm going to buy in. And I hope people will respect that for me because I would respect it from anybody else. If you tell me, hey, I just like the, you know, I, I like how this guy looks. All right. I don't agree with you, but I respect it. And so that's why I love this space is, the game of basketball, football, any sport can be viewed in so many different lights. Like it, there's no, there, there, and there's so many different ways to play the game. You and I could watch the same game, Jack, and we could come away with two very different perspectives and neither of us be wrong. And that's why I love do, doing this. It's so much fun. And neither of us be right, just for clarity there. <laughs> yes, I think that yes. happens a lot too. But um, Rissa Share, kind of like Matas, I think, you know, another Euro prospect. I know that Matas is playing over in the US, but uh, I'd be aggrieved to not mention that Matas is originally from Lithuania. Yes, uh, he is. Those of the podcast will know that my fiance is Lithuanian, so I've always got to shout them out as much as possible. But just another guy that if the shooting holds, um, could potentially make a guy like Cade's life easier, Jaden Ivey's life easier, and potentially one with a little bit more defensive utility. I think that you look at that frame, six foot 10, I think he moves really fluidly across the court. And um, I don't necessarily see him having potentially the same on-ball upside as a guy like Matas, who again, you said might drop down your board. But defensively, he could be a connective piece on that end as well. Yeah, I I think that's a really good way to put it. Matas with a little bit more... On ball upside, I think Matos probably has more of a three-point shooting pedigree right now. Um, yep. And then defensively, I would probably give it to Risa Shear just based off what I've seen in terms of the all-around defensive impact. I think, you know, Risa Shear gets out and runs. I think he's more athletic than Matos, but we have some of those similarities there. And again, like both of these guys could rise, both of these guys could fall. But um, yeah, it's, I, I will also say, this is probably the first year where I've done a really good job trying to evaluate overseas prospects. And so I'm still trying to get a grasp of all that. You know, Alex Sar is another guy we should point out, you know, he's playing in a professional league over there where he comes off the bench. Alex Sar comes off the bench for the Perth Wildcats. And so, you know, you look at his numbers and they may not blow you away. So I'm still trying, I will learn lessons in this draft, you know, about these guys of, what should I have seen? What should I not have seen? What should I have valued more? Even just the European teams in general of how good are the leagues? How good is the competition? How good is the team he's playing on? Those type of things. Still trying to navigate all of those things. You learn from it every single year. But I just, at 18 years old, I think this kid has a lot of talent. And in a class where it's like so many things are up for grabs, there's a couple of kids that I'm willing to bet on just kind of the upside, you know, like, this is a kid I think will continue to get better. And again, we'll see over the next few months how he continues to grow or doesn't grow. Maybe he plateaus. 
Absolutely. Zachary Rissacher is a guy to keep your eyes on if you're in the draft space. And I think a guy to keep your eyes on if you're a Pistons fan as well, because as we sort of discussed, he's another one that potentially fits better on this roster yes. than some of the other guys we discussed before him, right? Agreed. A hundred percent. Any wing, any player where we've mentioned three-point shooting, especially if it's substantial, not in the terms of, well, maybe Alex Sar can shoot. Maybe Isaiah yeah. Collier can shoot. Maybe Nikola Topic can shoot. Whenever we're talking about guys with the pedigree throughout their career like Matas or a guy shooting almost 50% in his games in recent year, like those are guys, especially on the wing. You said it early on. This is a team that needs wings slash forward. You know, those like those are guys that the Pistons should absolutely have very high on their board. 100%. Who's your number six, Bryce? It's another wing, but a guy who doesn't shoot the ball extremely well, and that's Ron Holland with the G League Ignite. And so, you know, I think at one point, uh, Sam actually had to correct me over on game theory. I was talking about Holland as 6'8". I think now maybe it's yeah. 6'6". Six, six. Like, I think it keeps going back and forth. Again, I think that does matter. This is another young, young prospect, though. He's only 18, won't turn 19 until around summer league, averaging almost 20 a game, 47% from the field, only 24% from three, and then under 70% from the free throw line. I think Holland can really get downhill. I love the way he pressures the rim. I like some of the nuance he finishes with, and he does have some explosion. I have some real questions about Ron Holland in terms of the other side of the floor. Because one of the biggest things that people talked about him coming out of high school was he was this quote-unquote dog on defense. You know, he was this... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually... Not only do I not think he's that defensively, I don't think he's very good at all defensively right now. And that may be the context he's playing it. The G League night is hard to evaluate as well. Hmm. Maybe it's the context, but I have some real questions offensively. And if he's not that good defensively, if he's neutral or below average, then I'm like, okay, does he really even belong as high as what I have him right now? So um, that, that, that's where I'm with with Ron Holland. Perhaps the G League Ignite is like the Detroit Pistons, where it's been so hard to gauge if Cade is a number one without sure. Boyan on the floor. It's really hard to gauge if a guy can defend on G League Ignite. I, I think that Ron Holland was potentially committed to Texas before he yes, changed correct. allegiances, right? Yes. Maybe it would have been interesting to see him in a slightly different setting. But I, I've noticed in the last few games, he's really started to score the ball at a fairly consistent level. He's yes, um, he sort of burst out for some plus 20 point games and can get to the rim quite well against you know, players in the G League, players that have potentially been around the NBA or, you know, people like you said earlier, I think for Matas, Bryce, um, like Rip City, for example, people yeah. that were picked in the 2023 draft. So I think physically, Ron is absolutely there. And if you are looking at the Pistons, there are some really physically impressive players. You know, you talk about Jaden Ivey's first step. You speak about Jalen Duran in terms of an NBA-ready body. You look at Alsal Thompson as just a guy that um, honestly looks like a superhero at times. Um, Ron is a guy that potentially could come in and fill another sort of functional need of athleticism on the Pistons because there really just isn't that at the three spot. And if he's 6'6", six, six, not 6'8", six, he's definitely a three, not a four, right? Agreed. I mean, very early on, I saw people tag him as a wing forward. And even before I knew he was 6'6", six, six, I was like, I don't really see the forward stuff. I mean, he's not skinny, but he's kind of wiry. Like, you know, he's not like yep. super built. I mean, I would almost say at this point, 
he's a he's definitely I would say he's definitely more of a three two even than a three four if that makes sense you know like I'm not saying he's a straight up shooting guard but I don't see a lot of the forward stuff that a lot of other people have talked about and and maybe that's not being discussed as much either I just think he has I, I think he's true off ball player so this is where he fits well with the Pistons I think Ron Holland is an off the ball player cuts transition offensive rebounds all of those things here's the thing. If you're going to be an off-the-ball player, Jack, you have to be able to knock down catch-and-shoot threes. I don't hate the jumper. Like, I don't hate the mechanics of it. It's just the percentages haven't been great. And so this is another one. If by the end of the G League season, Ron Holland is shooting 35% from three and has shown that he can cut down on his turnovers and some of the defensive stuff gets better, he could be the number one prospect in the class. You know, like, he, he all of these guys have that potential to jump all the way there or fall to the back end of the lottery. But I would worry a little bit about, I don't think his fit is as good as Matas or even Reese just based on what we know about their shooting right now. Absolutely. Um, I think he almost fits into what I described at the top of the podcast as what I thought the Pistons were potentially yes, going for. Yes, yes. Brooklyn Nets 2000 style Richard Jefferson wing before he could shoot um so so yeah we'll keep an eye on it but potentially not the way to build forward i think that ron holland is going to be valued by certain teams in the draft and i think you know some teams might have him at two three one even dependent on sort of like what their board looks like some might have him well down below in terms of like list of priorities i think there's a fit for ron holland it's probably just not on the pistons if the jumper stays as it has and and speaking to the draft in general, I really want to do another mock with Sam at some point with team-specific picks mm-hmm. because I think that'll help me navigate my board a little bit. You know, like we we just talked about Risa Share. I wonder if we get into it if I go, nah, the Pistons can't afford to, to take a chance here. Ah, the, the Wizards, you know, this guy's a better fit. They need a point guard. They're going to go with Topich. You know, yep. the, you know, who... The Hornets, nah, not the right fit. And then all of a sudden you, we find ourselves taking Reesusher at 10 or 11 because it's like, yeah, we think he's talented, but he doesn't necessarily fit with where these teams are at. And I'm just using him as an example because he'll probably be more of the, the most polarizing guy would be my guess of, of the guys we brought up. And so that's why I think those are beneficial when you do team-specific mocks, Jack, is you're like, oh, you can kind of really see where guys could fall based on you start penciling and fitting guys into different places. Absolutely. Um, I, I think I'm going to go well back to a podcast I did a few weeks ago where I had James Plowright, who covers the Charlotte Hornets in immense yeah. detail. He's he's another great follow on Twitter or X. Um, he said that the Charlotte Hornets have a lot of the offensive talent you potentially be looking for, but they don't have dogs. If you do that team-based mock draft with Sam, watch how tempted you are to draft Ryan Dunn for the Charlotte Hornets because he would be a fit, man. Five stocks a game. He's someone I thought we might talk about today, but I can see with that sort of lack of offensive talent on show why he's not quite in your tier one but ryan dunn is a prospect in a lot of people's hearts i'll just he's in my lottery and again that's a perfect example and the other thing i have like i have a lot of guards um later like this would be later in the draft it's like how many six three guards can actually make an nba team in 2023 you know 2024 i guess you know so like Mm -hmm. that's where it all comes into play is 
you know, where, where are these guys going to go? How many teams need a wing? It's We say every team needs a wing, but how many need a veteran one? How many need one that can play both ends? How many need one that would just say, hey, Ryan Dunn, we don't know what the offense is, but we need a guy that can come in and just disrupt things and be aggressive? Perfect. He goes at five now, even though I have him at the back end of my lottery because the fit makes the most sense. Like it just, of all the years, I think fit is really going to play into this. Absolutely. This could be the 2013 draft year where we see Anthony Bennett go number one. Uh, mm. You know, the equivalent of that. Hopefully nothing too bad happens to any of these prospects. But, um, you know, we are heading for that sort of it's going to be a little bit of a toss up on draft night. It's not going to be that foregone conclusion that we're usually used to. Whoever gets that scoop uh, this year, whether it's Woj or Shams or whoever, that is going to be a very light tweet this year because it's not going to be the one where we're sort of wondering or biting our fingernails. Yes, at least not right now. Again, this stuff can always change and maybe one of these guys goes on a heater. If Topic does what he's been doing in that league, it, like people are really going to talk about him. And again, you know, what if Matas goes crazy, starts shooting 40% from three on a lot of the other? Like, it, it, it'll be interesting. We got a lot of data still. But, yeah, you're right. I, I don't think it's going to be known ahead of time. Absolutely. Who's your number seven, Bryce? Yeah, I actually have Cody Williams. This is another kid who I didn't have super high coming into the year. Um, he was mm-hmm. talked a lot about. Uh, you know, I, I don't mean to take anything away from him, Jack, but he, he gets a, some love because of his brother who is Jalen Williams with the Oklahoma city thunder should also be mentioned that Alex Sar's brother is also on the thunder. Olivier Sar yeah. is, is on an NBA roster. We didn't mention that earlier. Uh, again, I'm not saying Cody Williams doesn't deserve it, but it's real easy for people to go, Oh, we all underestimated Jalen Williams and overlooked him and all of that. We're not going to do it with Cody. Um, different players. Cody is well, Jalen is long as well. Cody's six eight, long, but he's a little more lanky. He's not built like Jalen Williams is just so strong so through sick. his up, through so his upper. Yeah, it's insane. It's incredible. Um, Cody plays at a little bit different pace, I think, as well, where he just he's very smooth and fluid. I have a hard time evaluating these guys sometimes because it almost looks like they're not playing hard, and that's not the case. They just play at a, a slower pace, but. I really bought into him when I watched a game early in the year with this is passing and feel for the game. There was also a game where he took the toughest defensive matchup in the game, which I thought was impressive for him to do. That Colorado team has three prospects on it. It'd be really interesting if, if your listeners aren't watching Colorado, because I know that's usually not an NBA draft hub, but Cody Williams, Tristan Da Silva is a late first, second round guy. And KJ Simpson, the guard on that team, is really, really starting to pop for NBA draft people. So Colorado's a must watch if you're an NBA draft fan. Yeah, they're like your Houston of last year, right? Where they have yes. Marcus Sasser, Jarris Walker, and uh, you know, they're absolutely flying. But I look at Jalen Williams just on a sort of base level in terms of his statistics. He's shooting the hell out of the ball, both uh, 60% from two and 60% from three. Pretty sure that's not going to hold if he's a 60% from three shooter. I think he <laughs> might be at the top of your board, Bryce. But yes. at that size, a guy that potentially has a little bit of everything, he's sort of got the profile of your late riser like his brother right sure. where teams they just keep sort of going back to it and going maybe we can't see the all nba all-star upside but at a certain point when you find a guy that's in this body that can shoot that can pass that can defend they're not going to be slipping too far down anyone's boards are they so i will say one thing that like sam has said that just is really he's like i want to draft good basketball players you know like sam is i just want to draft good basketball players and i'm trying not to like let 
Sam influence too. Because I'll be honest, like peek behind the, I was a little starstruck whenever I got asked to join the podcast. Because I was a listener like you, like I just was a game theory listener that eventually weaseled my way and worked my way into these opportunities. And so I try not to let what Sam says overtake my own evaluation. But I also think it's smart to take in, like you've said things today. I'm like, man, like one, your knowledge is incredible, Jack. Like a, a lot of the podcasts I've come on, like you are up there with, with anybody. So I, I hope all your listeners appreciate the content you're bringing them and the knowledge that you offer every episode yourself. That bit's getting clipped. <laughs> okay yes <laughs> that's the bit that's and, going out on twitter straight away <laughs> and and i call i i call it twitter i i don't, I don't care i'm an old man right. i'm 36 and i call it twitter i don't care that it's called x I, I just x seems annoying to me so um i don't know where i was going no just draft good basketball players i think cody yes. williams is good at basketball and he has like nba length and size and all of that other stuff as well so this this is a kid He's not playing right now or the last time we saw Colorado, he had a wrist injury, I believe. And so hopefully we get to see him, you know, over the next couple months. But so far, what I've seen, I've really liked. Yeah, I think it's understudied, but the Game Theory podcast sort of mirrors the NBA draft a little bit and that you go through a draft cycle and then suddenly Sam's guest just gets picked up by an <laughs> NBA team and it's like, oh, well, he's going to have to go and dig out another guy from you know that your college equivalent of podcast. So, Bryce, well done on that future draft offer that I'm sure you're going to be getting around that 2024 You don't, You don't understand the pressure that comes with being the co-host, weekend <laughs> yes. guest, whatever, because... All what you said is true. Like if your listeners think you're joking, what you're saying is actually no. true. Yeah, the the last two work in you know Adams a, a scout with the Sixers. Um, why am I blanking on the name? Matt Penny is working um, in the you know professional basketball world, and I think one before that even. And so it's like now people expect me to follow in the footsteps. I'm like, listen, I'm in a little bit different of a situation than those guys with my family and some stuff like that, but. Um, no, nah, it, it, it's awesome. So yeah, Sam, Sam attracts, hopefully, um, has good taste and attracts good people to come, uh, work on the podcast with him. He 100% does. Uh, just to bring it back to Cody Williams, yeah, yeah Cody Williams in terms of, uh, in terms of fit on the Detroit Pistons, uh, look, I haven't watched a ton of Colorado this year, so you're going to have to tell me a little bit more Bryce, but from what I'm hearing, if I could draft Jalen Williams's brother to 29 different other NBA franchises, I'd probably look for it because it's just a guy that's not going to take a lot off the table. Uh, it's a guy that potentially has some on-ball reps to come and sort of some on-ball potential. So it feels like a prospect where you can't really go wrong. What are your slight concerns about Cody at this point in the draft cycle? Yeah, like, I, I, again, I think sometimes with these guys, I have trouble about, like, how explosive are they how athletic are they can they play at this pace and make it work at the next level so like how much can he play with the ball in his hands like i think that's one thing that has a lot of people excited is not that he's going to be a six eight point guard but he could be a secondary creator and then maybe run some on ball stuff in the second unit. you know not so different than what his brother does with the thunder right he plays off of sga in the starting lineup sga goes out and, and you know and then jalen runs the show for them at times and so I think, I think that's my, like how athletic it, it seems like a lot of the same questions around Jalen is like, okay, are we just going down the same rabbit hole? And again, just draft good players. I think he would be a really good fit for the Pistons. As you said, I think he could fit well with a lot of teams. And I think he's a guy that could play off of Cade 
like we just talked about when you need him to, and then maybe also take a little bit of pressure though off of Cade and not always having to be the guy that creates everything for the team. Nice. Um, yeah, I think it's it's interesting. You look at, I'm going to go back to Jalen for a bit because he is the Williams guy that I know, not the other one on the OKC Thunder. Yes. J-Dub, not J-Will. Uh, you look at a guy like him, you look at Jaime Hawkes Jr. <laughs> Sometimes people play very differently in college to where you think, is that style going to translate? Um, Jalen Williams loves playing like uh, off the back of a jump stop or he loves playing at his own pace marshalling guys with his strength and it's always difficult to ascertain is that going to translate to the next level with those two it has but i'm sure that there have been sort of premier college players in the past that they get to the nba and suddenly they realize that they're just not quite strong enough to do what they were doing at the college level they're not quite fast enough so that's always a little bit of the guessing game it's not necessarily a linear uh, progression from college to NBA hoops. And some guys come in and flourish. Some guys come in and flounder. And I think it's also, there's a little bit of fit stuff, right? Like I watch Jaime Jaquez play for the heat and they're letting Jaime Jaquez do what he does best, which is, you know, they'll run after timeout plays for him in a mid post isolation. We're talking about a rookie that wasn't yeah. a lottery pick on a team that wants to go win an NBA championship this year. And they're running after timeout mid post isolations for him. And it's like, okay, well, what the Heat have done is they've pinpointed guys who they're going to let those guys play the style that fits them best, but it also works for what they want to do. And so that's what, again, not to take anything away from Jaime Jaquez, he is a great player, but I also think he ended up in a spot that makes a lot of sense because the Heat let him be who he is at his best. Absolutely. Uh, I haven't spoken about Jaime in a while. I think last time was I had Tyler Rucker on to do a little rookie roundup. And my main takeaway with Jaime then was that um, he was the guy that was being trusted with guarding Jason Tatum like eight to 10 games into the season. And he wasn't doing a fantastic job of it, but no one was at that point in the season. So sometimes it's just about getting guys that you can trust in difficult spots. I know that Cody isn't like... Is, is he a rookie this year in college? Like, is this his first year? This is his freshman year, yep. Whereas Jalen had, I think it, he might have been a sophomore. Yeah. Sometimes it's just about drafting the guys that know how to play. Like you said, Bryce, draft good basketball players. With that yeah. in mind, is yeah. your eighth guy on your big board, is he a good basketball player? He is. He, he shoots the ball really well. My eighth player is Jacoby Walter at Baylor. Um, another freshman, 6'5" which makes mm -hmm. me want like, is he a wing? Is he got to be more of a guard? Like, is he a two, three? Is he a three, two? I think you can flush some of that stuff out. Averaging over 15 points a game, 44% from the field, um, which when you hear like a 41% three point percentage and only 44% from the field, there are questions about what else he does offensively other than be a really good shooter. I, I have, right. I, I don't think Jacoby has any true wiggle to his game. Like I think, Ron Holland, even though his handle is loose, has some wiggle to his game. Collier has some explosiveness and wiggle to his game. I don't think Jacoby has that, but I think Jacoby can get downhill in straight lines. And whenever you shoot the ball as well as Jacoby does, you get and force really tough closeouts, and you don't yeah. necessarily always need really good wiggle. And so I'm not as worried about that. 88% from the free throw line, not a huge creator or anything like that. The defense is where I go back and forth with Jacoby. If I felt like Jacoby was a really good defender, I might be moving him closer to my top five. The most recent game against Duke, 
He was not a very good defender. He had some blow-bys from Caleb Foster, Jared McCain, Jeremy Roach, like three different guys, all good players in their own right. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's like, would have really liked to see him stay in front better. So one thing I'll really watch with Jacoby is how versatile can the shooting be, Jack? Like, can he be running off screens? Can he do some out of a ball screen? Can, you know, just beyond catch and shoot? And then how can, how good can he be defensively? Absolutely. Um, I think picking Jacoby sounds like a little bet on what you expect K to be. If if we were talking about the Dallas Mavericks right now and you're talking about Jacoby Walter as a guy that can guarantee that you're sort of pinning that corner defender, he's staying there. He's not going to be yeah. able to tag the roller. Then he's going to be a hell of an asset to a team like the Dallas Mavericks, for example. And if yes. you view... If you're Troy Weaver or you're the next GM of this team, Tom Gores, whoever you want to talk about, and you view this team still as Cade running 30 to 50 pick and rolls a game and sort of having complete ultimate control over the team, Jacoby is going to be a really valuable guy because it just, it takes one problem away from Cade when he's addressing that pick and roll, right? And if you can have a shooter as good as Jacoby Walter on the court, you can potentially have a shooter as bad as Elsar Thompson on the court as well. These things balance out a little bit. So would definitely simplify Cade's game. But then if you don't think that he's that true uh, sort of all-encompassing number one, maybe he's a guy that doesn't quite have enough off the bounce to be part of a, a really sort of winning team, playoff-ready team next to Cade Cunningham. Yeah, I mean, I think I could make the argument I mean, again, I believe Matas is a way better shooter than the 22% he's shooting right now with the G League Ignite. So I understand people would say, well, how can you even say he's not better fit than Matas if you're talking about floor spacing? And I also wonder if Risa shares eventually levels off. Um, but right now he's shooting what he's shooting. Um, like, I think Walter could be a top two or three guy in terms of fit for the Pistons just because, you know. And again, you made a good point earlier. What do they do in free agency? How much do they really need floor spacing? And by the time the draft, well, I guess the draft is first, you know. But, like, based on their plans, do they really, really need to prioritize this as much as what we feel like they do right now? So, Jacoby would be another one where, like, you may be able to talk me into a Jaden Ivey, Jacoby Walter, Cade Cunningham trio where yeah. Cade is the defensive wing three man. And then Jacoby and J Jacoby's just big enough. I think where like Jaden takes the smaller twitchier guard and Jacoby guards, like the quote unquote two guard or shooting guard, the bigger guard on the other team. And then Cade mm -hmm. guards a wing. There's enough floor spacing there. I think you could talk me into that trio. Nice. Nice. I like the sound of that. Um, and that even potentially allows Alsar to just go and take the toughest matchup, whatever. And if a team isn't like the Boston Celtics, where they have five guys that can hurt you if they have the ball in their hands, you can stash either Jaden Ivey, Jacoby Walter, Cade, if you're trying to give him a rest, you can stash him because you're going to be really versatile defending across that front court. And at least you're going to have front court, sorry, back court. And at least you're going to have that spacing on the other end as well. Um Bryce, I'm going to try and pin you down now. I don't want to say that the Pistons have the number one pick in the 2024 <laughs> draft. We could always have a, oh God, they're picking up five again moment. But having spoken about these guys through the Pistons lens, has your have you come to any clearer of sort of like a decision on if you were there on draft night, which of these guys at least fits the best? Who would you be happiest about the Pistons getting come draft yeah, night? Yeah, it's a really fun question because... You know, I said I have all these guys in the same tier. And so I think 
I think what, if I stuck to my principles and my philosophy based right now, it would be Matas, right? Because Matas is at number three. And I just yep. think the fit is so much better than Collier, even better than Topic at four. And, and truthfully, it's better than SAR, especially for most people. I think what I would have to hash out there is how much do I believe in SAR and his offensive skill set? And do I truly think he can space the floor enough and play with Jalen Dern enough to make that selection? Like that, that would, I'd really have to hash that out. But I think sitting here right now, it would almost have to be Matos based on my board, um, which is crazy. Again, like I, I just, I, I would, I understand people that are screaming at their phones right now going, you can't take Matos Bazelis at number one. Like I get it. I get it. I wouldn't feel great about it. I hope as someone that who has to talk about this, from a Pistons perspective, I hope they get like the fourth pick so I can be like, well, these three guys were gone. Like this guy's a number four overall pick, but yeah. I really think things will shake out where eventually these tiers will break a little bit different. You know, like we'll, we'll have a little bit. Let me ask you something. Cause you seem very surprised by uh, me having Risa share that, that seemed like the one that took you aback the most. So yeah. was that your biggest surprise of my eight in terms of who I included and then what name have we not talked about that you thought we might other than Ryan Dunn? We've already brought up Ryan Dunn. Right. Uh, that's a great question uh, because as a frequent Game Theory listener, I think that Sam's two obsessions at the moment are the Detroit Pistons, as we discussed, and Reed Shepard. I thought that Reed might be like eighth, ninth on your board. Uh, I'll um, be completely transparent. Reed Shepard is number yeah. 19 on my board right now. Nice. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. I mean, this is absolutely showing that you're not starstruck to the extent where, you know, oh yeah, absolutely. He's uh, a <laughs> Steph Curry with three steals a game. Um, I, I think that Risa share was probably the most, uh, yeah, the most surprising player that you brought up. Cody Williams as well as seemingly flew up as well. I thought we might have some Stefan Castle talk. Uh, so he's the he next was... guy. I'm, I'm glad you yeah, said him. Stefan, I'm still trying to navigate where I feel on him. Not all of this is his fault. You know, like he, he got hurt. Now he's coming off the bench. I, I want more data. I do have him right below the tier break, but he leads the next tier. And I just like, with the caveat, like we've said this about everybody, I really just need some more data. I really just, I need to get a better feel for, for what I feel about him as a player. And the other guy that I thought we might talk about, just sort of sneaking in at your back end, he's definitely not sort of top tier guy from this draft. But having watched the Pistons recently, I think that the starting lineup now that Bojan has come back has been neutral. It sort of looked yeah, like sure. an NBA starting lineup, it right? Did. And it's been it's... absolutely eviscerated when James Wiseman has come on the floor. Oh my much. gosh! I, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> pin it on James because the guy that I thought we might talk about was Donovan Klingon, and. Sure. I, I just think that let's say this pick does slip to five, six, for example, there would be some real value in just being able to say for 48 minutes a night, we're going to be able to have a five man that can truly defend. You know, we're either going to be really hard to beat and drop coverage, or maybe Jalen Duran progresses to the extent where he's a little bit switchy in terms of the coverages that you can play. He's definitely not an upside pick. I, I know that he's... um He's not necessarily someone that you can play for 35 minutes a game and you already have assets invested there. And I think the Detroit Pistons fan base might like throw their phones out the window if they picked another center in the upcoming draft. But I'm just looking around the league now and I'm seeing how many teams have a starting center, which is pretty much all of them. I think if yep. you look at the caliber of starting centers, it's incredibly high. But 
the value in having a second guy that can come either off the bench or can potentially play some four is really, really high. So I wonder if teams in the next few years start to look and go, can we get a guy in a rookie contract like a Derek Lively, like a Walker Kessler that can give us quality minutes at the five that are going to be able to maybe not win us our like starting minutes or maybe not close for us, but make sure that when we're throwing out a bench lineup, as the Pistons are throwing out at the moment, we're not absolutely dying from it. No, I like it. Like it, it makes a lot of sense. I think it plays into what we talked about earlier, where could a team value Donovan Klingon over just because he's going to come in and give you 18 to 20 minutes of really solid center production. And that's what mm. we need. Like we feel like that's better for us to do and we'll go fill another hole in free agency or with a trade, or we just don't think we can fill it. Like we don't believe in Reese So we're going to actually take Klingon over him. You know, Ryan Dunn over him. I get it. I have Klingon at 15. I've never been super high on Klingon. I had him higher at one point. I think just kind of, not that you just go with the consensus, but obviously these guys are smart as well. So you look at their boards and you're like, okay, like people are seeing this, but I've just slowly, I, I've never seen him play more than like four minutes at a time or, yeah, you know, yeah. and so, but to your point is, I still think he can play on an NBA floor. How much do you value a guy? Where is the value in this class? This class, we always, I don't like when people say he's not a number one pick. What does that mean? What a number one pick is changes every year based on the class. Just like what a number five pick is changes sure. every year, depending on the class. In this class is getting someone that can play 18 minutes a night with all the things you talked about. Is that more valuable than a lot of these other guys I have above him? So um, I would understand it. I, I just have some worries with Klingon. Um and so that's, I haven't met what would be the back end of the lottery right now. If if I were to make one prediction, it'd be that Donovan Klingon ends up on the OKC Thunder next year because okay. you want a guy that can come in when Chet sits. They're going to have a plethora of picks still, and he's on that rookie contract. So as guys like Shea, Jalen, Chet are getting maxed out, you're still going to have those little, uh, you're still going to be squeezing out the value of that rookie deal when you're trying to go deep in the postseason. That's that's my one bet. That's a really weird note to end on, Bryce. So okay, do you have any different, closing you, thoughts? I, yeah. I want to ask you this, and I'll answer it as well. Is there a who, what player, not the guys we've talked about, because you've obviously done some research, and maybe you, I don't want to put you on the spot, maybe you just researched the guys. That, who is the guy that you're just like, he's your favorite guy in the class? Like every year I have a my guy, doesn't mean I right. think he's the best player, he's just my, it was Benedict Matherin two years ago, was my guy. Last year it was Jordan Hawkins. Those have been my guys in the last two classes. Do you have a guy right now? Such an easy question. This is a guy that I loved for his two minute, I think he might have the best sort of two minute highlight sample from a single game that I've ever seen. He's the guy that most looks like um, you're my player on 2K. Robert Dillingham is my favorite player that is potentially coming out of the draft. Just in terms of the, you spoke about wanting arrogant players on your basketball team. Love it. My God, man, when that guy gets his like theoretical takeover, it is insane. Some of the stuff that he's pulling off and some of like just the hip flexibility and the, I, I want to see him pan out in an NBA roster somewhere, even if it's like, you know, probably the top end is that Lou Williams style heater off the bench. But I think he's been really promising at Kentucky in terms of demonstrating some value off ball, demonstrating that the shot is real, that he can create, that he can finish at the rim. 
it's it's Robert Dillingham for me, and I don't think that anyone comes particularly close. I where would you have, have him on a board? I don't know if you have a big board. Like, where would you have him? No clue. Absolutely no okay. clue. I think he's definitely a fit player. Um, it it just depends. When we're getting into that sort of like back half of the draft where, you know, we had a real hot streak in this year's draft from sort of, I think it was... 17 down to 20 where you had Jalen Hood picked by the Lakers. You had Jaime Hawkes picked by the um, picked by the heat. Brandon Pajemski picked at 19 and then Cam Whitmore picked at 20 where you sort of hit this really rich vein of just like hoopers that could potentially land in really fun situations. I, I maybe envision him there if he continues to play at the level that he's been playing at. I have him at 20 right now. So exactly what you're talking about. That's, that's where I have him. My guy yeah. is Wuga Poplar. And this may be a guy that people aren't familiar right. with at all. He plays for Miami. He's a junior. He is currently averaging 17 points a game on 53, yeah. 51, 88. 11 and a half attempts a game from the field, five and a half attempts a game from three, only three yeah. free throw attempts. The guy also rebounds. The guy also <laughs> defends. And again, maybe the shooting levels off and eventually he's, you know, I liked him at the end of last year as like a defensive prospect who maybe can figure out the offense. He is a legit three-level scoring potential guy that has some athleticism. I am insanely, stupidly, crazily high on Wuga Poplar. He is my guy compared to Sam Vecini's Reed Shepard. Where is where's he on your board right now? I don't even want to say. I will get I will get eviscerated. Was he was he close to being spoken about in this in this class? I, in fact, a better question is, why isn't he there for everyone else? What are you seeing that other people aren't? Or I, what are you potentially ignoring a little bit because you see a lot of promise in other areas? I think the pushback I get most often is his size, um, that right. he's not quite as tall. Like I have him here as 6'5", mm-hmm. but some people don't think he's 6'5". So it's like, okay, if you're 6'4", 6'3", can you really be a two guard? Are you really a wing? Now you're just a guard. Those type of things. He is only 20, 20 years old still. Doesn't turn 21 until January. Um, and, and it's just not a name that has really popped. And, and you know, there's other Matthew Cleveland's on that team. Um, so I, I don't know that he has gotten all of the attention the last couple of years. But I, I just think he's really good. I have him in the lottery. That that My insane take right now. Right. is I have Wooga Poplar in the lottery. Insane. Well, I like, what, I, I, people will, nobody will agree with me on this. I guarantee you. Bryce, this this podcast probably doesn't attract the same kind of listenership that Game Theory does. I don't know if GMs are tuning in every week to hear about what they should be doing in the draft, but I'll clip that bit as well. So just on the off chance that, you know, Daryl Morey sees something on his Twitter feed and Wooga Poplar is right there up on his board. We're going to try and continue the streak of game theory co-hosts getting that professional job. <laughs> and if you're right on your Wooga Poplar pick, then maybe that's the thing at the top of the resume. <laughs> so like and he has an insane mid-range jumper. His elevation is crazy. Obviously, the three-point shooting numbers speak for themselves. And then he has some nuance finishing around the rim. I talked about Colorado earlier. He took the Tristan De Silva matchup, which Tristan is probably the better college player, like college score for Colorado on the wing, even compared to Cody Williams. Like Tristan De Silva is a real college bucket getter and really navigated screens well, really defended De Silva well in his minutes guarding him. Like I just 
I can't quit it. I, I can't, I, I can't get over it. I think people think he's a good player, Jack. I think, yeah, I, I just think he's a really, really good player. And so I'm, while the shooting is this good, uh, I, I can justify it. When the shooting's not, it's going to be a little harder. I love it. I'm, I'm looking at um, sports reference here. He shot 87% from the line last year, shooting 87% again from the line this year. It's that touch indicator that we spoke about with Nikola Topic. So maybe this turns out to not be such an insane take. Maybe we've spotted our late riser, Ala Jalen Williams, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Wuga Poplar's going to go to the um, go to the combine, show out, and then suddenly we're, we're having him spoken about at ridiculous levels. Bryce, I've loved having you on the podcast, man. Thank it's you. been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming on. As I said, a little bit surreal having the co-host, <laughs> we're going with co-host, of Game Theory come on. Um, what are your plans for the rest of the Christmas break? When are you back at school? How How's the next week shaping up for you? Yeah, so I still get a week and a half, actually. So I get to stay home. I, I'm married with three kids. My wife like, actually is working right now. Um, and mm -hmm. so me and the kids are about to go to the gym as soon as we're done recording this, go get some shots up and, and stuff like that. And then I legit will just sit around, watch games, podcasts, do all of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, back to school, I, I will eventually not quite there yet. The break is good. I, I will miss my middle school students and being in the classroom and my colleagues, but I, I enjoy this time of just being able to be a content creator and watch hoops. And I am a diehard Kansas city chiefs fan of American football. Uh, not, not great right now, not great vibes for the chiefs, but, um, I will religiously watch them as well over the next 10 days where they'll have a couple games, uh, jockeying for the playoffs and playoff position. Well, I hope that you enjoy that, Bryce. And listeners, I hope that you enjoyed listening to Bryce on the Dropstep podcast. If you are looking for any of his work, go and check out the Game Theory podcast. We've only mentioned it 200 times today. Go and check out Pistons Pulse. Go to Motor City Hoops on Twitter or X and you'll find Bryce there. All of his links are going to be down below. And make sure that you're keeping an eye on all of those feeds that we've mentioned, as well as the Dropstep feed, because I've got some fun coverage planned for you guys over the next week or so. Bryce, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. This was an absolute blast. I knew we weren't going to stick to an hour, hour and 15. So I apologize. I didn't want to say, I didn't want to say. no, I'm happy. I'm, I'm more than happy. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this point. Uh, if you did drop, drop a comment or something like that, thank you. I, we've probably got like one person still struggling, still going on, but I appreciate you, whoever you are out there. It's probably my mum, actually, but uh, we'll leave it there. Guys, that's been another episode of Drop Step. Thank you for listening. Tune in again next time.